Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinny Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be recognizing Jesus. Let's begin in John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, beginning in the first verse, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden, into the which he entered, and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake. Of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and smote the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into his sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. The time for Jesus' arrest had come, and now he was going to be betrayed. This chapter is not only important for knowing the history of what happened, but there are also some deeper truths that we have to take from this. The first lesson that we learn has to do with Judas. We find here that Judas didn't recognize Jesus. This is clear for what transpired. Jesus said in verse 4, Whom seek ye? Then verse 5 says, They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. They were speaking to the very man that they were searching for and didn't recognize him. He had to point himself out to them. This would have been understandable if this was their first time meeting or encountering him, but it wasn't. In Mark 14, which has another account of his arrest, verse 49 says, I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and he took me not, but the scripture must be fulfilled. He was with them daily, and this proves that they knew who he was and that they could recognize him. There were also the many times that they saw him preaching and performing miracles, and then consulted together, desiring to kill him. In John 11.53, after they had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead, it says, Then from that day forth they took counsel together to put him to death. They had firsthand previous experience of him, and even though they were coming to arrest him at night, there was no excuse for them not to be able to recognize him. What made this even worse was that Judas was with them. 
The second half of verse 5 says, And Judas also which betrayed him stood with them. Judas, the man who made up his mind to betray Jesus, was standing right there in front of him and didn't recognize him. They had spent three years together, and they were close. We find how close they were in Matthew chapter 26, verses 49 to 50, which say, And forthwith he came to Jesus, and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Jesus even called him friend. But even though they were so close and had spent so much time together, Judas still couldn't recognize him. In verse 7, we find that they still hadn't figured out who he was. Verse 7 says, Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. They still failed to realize after the first time that they asked, otherwise they would have just taken him. Then verse 8 says, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. He had to identify himself a second time. This is very odd considering how well he was known, and the fact that his own disciple was the one leading them to him. So we must then ask ourselves the question, what caused all these people, especially Judas, all at the same time, to not be able to recognize Jesus? This doesn't make sense in the natural. There has to be a supernatural reason why this took place. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 to 4 tell us, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world that blinded the minds of them which believe not, was the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The God of this world is referring to the devil, which reveals to us that this is dealing with spiritual blindness, especially as it relates to the mind. The concordance says for the word for blinded, in the Greek, it means having a cloudy perspective, blowing smoke which causes spiritual blindness and the experience of clouded vision. It also means to blunt the mental discernment, to darken the mind. Our abilities to recognize and discern are both faculties of the mind. When the devil gets a hold of these faculties in a person's life, he attempts to make them weaker so that a person's left disordered and confused. We know that God is not the author of confusion, and this is evident in the results of confusion. If the devil can successfully confuse a person to the point that they become disoriented, they won't come to truth because they're unable to discern truth, and the way to truth is obscured to them. They're spiritually blind. This is what happened with Judas and with the soldiers that day. The devil blinded their minds. He made them unable to recognize and discern Jesus, even when he was standing right in front of them. If Jesus hadn't identified himself, they may not have been able to find him, but they had to arrest him in order to fulfill the prophecies. The next question that we need to ask ourselves is why was the devil able to do this? We find the answer to this in Luke 22 and 3, which tells us, Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. This is what laid the groundwork for the devil to be able to blind him. He made provision for the flesh. He left the door open to the devil, and the devil came in and took control. The next lesson that we can learn from this chapter is in verse 6, which says, As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. This is an interesting verse, not only in the fact that it happened, but also that it was fulfilling a prophecy. Psalm 35 and 4 says, Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. We find that this was also prophesied in Psalm 27. Psalm 27 and 2 tells us, 
when the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. The soldiers falling backwards at the Lord's word was a direct fulfillment of scripture. We also need to look at what this verse represents. There are two ways that people respond when they see the Lord, and this is true throughout scripture. One way is fear, and the other is worship. Falling backwards represents fear. It drove them back, further away from him. They were afraid of Jesus and his power, but they didn't allow their fear of him to correct them. They still proceeded to do what they came to do. Their falling backwards should have been sufficient enough to warn them that what they were doing was the wrong thing. But since the devil had spiritually blinded them, they were unable to see the evil of their own actions. Their fear combined with their confusion to prevent them from seeing that what they were doing would in the end destroy them. The opposite of falling backwards in fear is falling forward in worship. This draws people towards him so that they become closer to him. There are a number of examples of this throughout scripture. Luke chapter 17 verses 15 to 16, speaking of the one leper that returned to give God the glory, says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Joshua 5 and 14 tells us, And he said, Nay, but as certain of the hosts of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Even Jesus, when he was here on this earth, did the same. Matthew 26 and 39 says, And he went a little further, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. It is clear from these verses, and many others just like them, that this should be the response of the people of God when they come before the Lord. Although it may not seem like it at first glance, there is a lot in this chapter that we can apply to our own lives. As we just saw, there are two ways to come before the Lord, either in fear or in worship. We find that nothing has changed. It's the same today as it was when Christ was betrayed. We find Christians today not only coming before the Lord in fear, but also serving the Lord out of fear. And this is partially rooted in the false ideology that God is a mean, angry God waiting to punish you for all that you've done wrong, which causes people to serve God and to do good, not because they want to, but because they fear punishment and retribution. It is also partially rooted in legalism and the fear that's naturally inherent in it. These things may cause people to do good, but the reasoning behind the actions is flawed. It's not of God. God never uses fear to coerce people into doing his will. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear is never of God, because fear keeps us in bondage. It prevents us from exercising our free will. Fear is a spirit. It oppresses people, and if left unchecked, it will even pose us people. If we're serving God out of fear, it means we're doing what fear wants us to do. We may be doing good things, but we're not doing them because we want to do them. We're doing them because fear tells us that we have to, or else we'll get punished. We can't allow fear to have control of our lives. It shouldn't even be a part of our lives at all. Since we find that so many Christians today serve God out of fear, we need to ask ourselves the question, what is the root of this fear? It's been said that the real fear that lies behind every other fear is the fear of death. An example of this is that people are not really afraid of flying on an airplane. 
they're really afraid of dying. And it's true that the fear of death is behind most fears, but there is a fear that is even more fundamental than fear of death, and this is fear of the unknown. The reason why we naturally fear death is because it's an unknown experience. It's something for which we have no frame of reference. We fear what we don't know. And this is true in both the natural and the spiritual realm. When people are serving God out of fear, the root doesn't change. It's more than just a fear of punishment. It's more than just a fear of eternal death. The underlying fundamental fear is still fear of the unknown. What is it exactly that is unknown? It's God. When people serve God out of fear, it's because they don't truly know God. If they did, they would know that he doesn't use fear as a tool to further his ends. The problem is like Judas and like the soldiers, these people don't recognize Jesus, even if they may seem outwardly in the natural to do so. Many people talk like they know Jesus, they act like they know Jesus, and they read about Jesus, but they don't really know him. We can't allow ourselves to be content with an outward pretentious false knowledge while never truly knowing God. This will only leave us in a trap of self-deception, making us think that we know God when we really don't. We have to know God for who he really is. We have to get to know him by reading his word, spending time with him, and having an experience of him. When we were born again, we all personally experienced God firsthand, but we can't let our experience stop there. Truly knowing God is an experience that lasts a lifetime, even an eternity. The more time that we invest in being with God and learning the things of God, the deeper our knowledge of Him becomes and the better that we get to know Him. This enables us to be able to recognize Him. Our prayers should never be a one-sided conversation. Prayer is never meant to be an echo chamber. There needs to be a response. Our conversation needs to be two-sided between us and God. When prayer is rightly done, It's both talking to and hearing from him. A good indicator of how well we know the Lord is our ability to discern his voice. We need to ask ourselves, are we able to discern his voice when he is speaking within our spirit? It makes all the difference when we're able to. When a close friend calls us on the phone, we don't have to say, who is this? Because we already know. We recognize their voice. The same way it is in the natural, it's the same in the spiritual. When God speaks within us, We need to be able to recognize his voice, because when we do, it means that we recognize him, and we truly know him for who he is. Once we know him for who he is, it changes who we are. We're freed from the bondage of fear, and now we're free to come before him in worship and love. 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 8 say, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Once we understand that God is love, we're freed from fear, because the two can never go together. 1 John 4 and 18 tells us, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We're free to worship, and we're free to serve God out of love, to do what is right because we want to do it, in order to be pleasing unto the Lord. The Lord desires our obedience, but he wants our obedience to come from a willing heart. He wants us to exercise our free will, because free will is the only thing that makes true love possible in the first place. A love that is forced is not genuine real love. We should worship because we want to worship, and we should love because we want to love. Let's go to Psalm 100. Psalm 100, which is a psalm of praise, says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. This psalm encapsulates all that we've been studying today. Today we're not spiritually blind like Judas and the soldiers were. Jesus has restored our spiritual sight so that now we can clearly see. We won't miss the God who is right here with us because he's not only with us, he's also within us. In verse 3 it says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. This is the first step. We need to know and recognize him as our God. We need to know him as his people, as his friends, and as his children. Then we need to come before his presence with singing. We need to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise to be thankful to him and to bless him. These are all elements of worship. We should always approach the Lord in a spirit of worship. Then the last thing that we need to do is we need to serve the Lord in love. We need to serve him with gladness and serve him with joy. When we do this, we will be blessed. We can never take for granted that our greatest reward while on this earth is the ability to personally get to know God for ourselves. We need to take every opportunity that we get to get to know God in a deeper and deeper way. Let's make the choice today to worship the Lord and to recognize Him for who He is. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank You for this day. And Lord, we thank You that You have given us the ability to recognize You for who You are as our God that you've given us the ability to know your character, to know your works, and to know you as our Lord and as our Savior. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us in spiritual blindness, but that you've opened our eyes so that we might see the truth of your word and of your gospel. Lord, for those around us who are still enduring the bondage of spiritual blindness, our prayer for them is that you open their eyes so that they might see you as their Lord and their Savior and come to you for deliverance and for salvation. Lord, we thank you that we are able to know you. And Lord, we desire to get to know you in a deeper and deeper way as you lead us by the leading of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you make us sensitive to your voice, speaking within us, so that we can discern what you're telling us to do and what you want us to do in that moment, so that we can act on that and further do your will. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and all that you have done and all that you're going to do. We know that as you speak to us and lead us, that you will have us to do all those things that you have set apart for us as your people. And Lord, we give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to recognize Jesus and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. 
And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.